This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. I've been doing a lot of reflecting and as much as we go through curriculum changes and changes in the job, one of the topics that we always tend to center around is the importance of kindness and empathy and that human contact. Roman Nowak is a high school teacher in Rockland, Ontario, Canada, a veritable king of kindness. He hosts BeKindEDU hashtag chat on Twitter, has a blog, and makes kindness his mission. You'll learn some actionable ways to infuse kindness into your daily practice as a teacher and practical ways to build positive class culture. You won't want to miss this inspiring conversation with Roman Nowak. You can find him at Mr. Roman Nowak at WordPress.com. All right. Welcome, Roman Novak, to Kindsight 101. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be with you. So you're a high school teacher in Ontario, and you also started the Be Kind EDU hashtag. I'm just wondering, what is it that inspires you to infuse kindness within your everyday life and within your practice as an educator? Uh, I think after deep reflection, so I've been a connected educator, if I'm going to talk about Twitter and uh, really being connected with other teachers for a little over two years now. And I think that has been sort of the biggest change in my professional life and what has uh, made me grow. And so as I've been getting to know a lot of teachers and working with teachers, uh, I've been doing a lot of reflecting. And as much as we go through curriculum changes and changes in the job, one of the topics that we always tend to center around is the importance of kindness and empathy and that human contact uh, and finding time for it. So I started the Be Kind EDU hashtag with uh, one of my friends, Eli Kasaus, mm-hmm. uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, and it was really just to put out inspiration, reflect, and really put uh, that reflection on kindness and the importance of heart in education really at the forefront. And that's really how it started. Mm, I love that. When you think back to your own experience going through school, do you find that you're the kind of teacher who was inspired by the teachers that you had? Or do you serve your students as the teacher that you wish you had? I think it's sort of a mix of both. So uh, I know I could still remember if I'm talking about the passion for the classroom and that part. Uh, my great grade 10 history teacher, Miss Kovacs, I still remember it. She really infused that passion for wanting to share uh, the interests and the topics and all that. But there's still one teacher uh, to this day, uh, and she was my English and Spanish teacher in high school, Miss Ignacio, who I have on my social media feeds. And she had that one-on-one, that relationship, even like with my family and my sister. And I think when I saw how she really interacted with students and built those relationships, Uh, That was something that was important to me. And I always try and remember, because I was sort of that smart kid, but the kid that was sort of erased and didn't really cause anything. So there was no reason that I was really in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And so I try and really see which kids sort of are holding back, which are often forgotten, not the popular ones, the ones that speak a lot, not the ones that you know have some challenges than that we spend that extra time with. 
but the ones that really are flying under the radar, those are the kids that were sort of like me that I try and always remember to keep an eye out for everyone. I think that's great because I think on some level, whether you have quiet kids in your class or you have really outgoing ones, we just we all just want to be seen, right? Yes, and I think that's probably one of the most important things is make sure everyone is seen and heard. And that's something I try and keep in my classroom on a daily basis. So what are some of the practical ways that you set up your classroom so that you can actually fulfill this and, and do that? So I try and create an atmosphere where we really sort of become a family. And it's not always easy, especially at the high school level. I see three different groups and we rotate all the time and it's only for a semester at a time. But I mean, from the way I decorate my classroom, I set up my classroom in groups instead of individual rows. Uh, I'm always at the door greeting. I put music on to create atmosphere, but I make sure that we take the time throughout any lesson to sort of get off topic and talk about what's going on, what's going on in the media, what's going on in your family's vacation. How can we tie it in to what we're learning? And if something suddenly pops up, even on TV that we could bring in and talk about, uh, we're going to include it because I want my kids to sort of get excited about what's going on around them and bring that to the classroom. So if you leave that open, in your classroom, then you sort of see that magic happening. And that's sort of what I strive for. I love that. I think as educators, and I know that Aaron Hogan talks about this, this concept of the teacher myth, you know, that there, there really is no perfect educator, but sometimes, especially in this social media infused landscape right now, that we sometimes can look to one another and wish that we were a little different or sort of have this, this sense of imposter syndrome. So, you know, it's important to sort of be authentic to ourselves and to do some deep, deep reflection. What, what do you think about sort of this concept of comparing versus standing within the educator that you are and celebrating your achievements and, and all of your strengths? I think one of the traps, and uh, I was notorious for this, one of the traps ever since social media really took the, the popularity and uh, not even popularity, it's just, it's part of who we are right now. Uh, I think we're in human nature, we compare all the time. So when we look to Twitter, when we look to Pinterest, when we look to Instagram, you see all these amazing things. And as you see them, you tend to, the first reaction is, wow, I'm really not that good. Look at what these people are doing and I'm not. (laughs) And so we get in this trap and I was like that. Something came out, you saw these amazing ideas, you read a book and you're like, wow. And then you try and copy it. And I think that's the trap that we're in in education. We have to look to people as inspiration, but then see how can that inspiration now really cultivate around who I am as a person. So I never want to go out there to a conference and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Take what I'm doing and it's going to solve all your problems. Mm. I really want us to look at what these amazing educators are doing. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in these edu rock stars because we're all rock stars. Mm -hmm. And I need to take what we're doing and maybe infuse and take inspiration and then say, now, how does that fit who I am? How does that fit who my students are? Because I'm just one piece of the puzzle in my classroom, but I don't want to do everything just because it's me. I need to do what my kids need. So if I get inspired by others and then make sure it fits my kids and then my kids help me sort of develop it, that's what I think we should strive for. So look for the inspiration and try not to look for comparison because we all have a piece of the puzzle and putting it all together that's going to make education probably the richest environment ever. 
I, I love that you talk about this at length in you did a recent post in November 2018, which actually resonated with me because I think there's elements, I mean, even within ourselves, there's moments when we feel like we're totally rocking it. And then other moments where how can we not feel like we're in self-doubt, right? And you wrote a post called Hanging On. And I thought it was just such a an honest post about how tricky it can be as an educator wherever you are I mean I just came off of mat leave and so coming back and going like oh right this is teaching I forgot about this part or I forgot about this part and you had just come back because you were doing a teacher leader role and and then you had come back in and and we're sort of dealing with those doubts yourself can you speak to that post a little bit and and what inspired you to write it yeah and that was probably uh, the last post I wrote since then I've sort of been uh, working on so many things that I haven't had a chance to stop and just write something that really resonates. And so I still have that and uh, it still stands true because I was out of the classroom for three years in a leadership role working with 12 districts. Uh, amazing learning. That's probably what really pushed me to be a connected, uh, connected educator. Uh, I've, I've learned and grown and then I come back in the classroom super excited. I mean, I'm here ready to change the world, change all my practices. Uh, I had this excellent energy. And then when I came in and I'm going to say reality hit me, but that sounds sort of negative, but it's just, I forgot the day-to-day -day challenges and uh, regular things that happen. And I mean, I have two kids, I have a family. Uh, you try and keep that balance. And in education, we always talk about how difficult it is to find that balance. Mm -hmm. But when I, wrote, when I wrote that post, my first semester back, because now we're in our second semester, uh, I really felt partly lost. Uh, I I tried to find myself, the stuff I was doing, I'm like, wow, this isn't what I thought I was going to be doing. My kids deserve more. Mm -hmm. uh, just, it's not good enough. And honestly, I think I needed that transition time. And we sort of forget when we leave, when we come back, or even after a summer break, there's a transition period all the time. And we have to be forgiving to ourselves that it's not always going to be 100% on. It's not always going to be perfect. And our students need to see that, that, you know what, it's not always perfection. And Sometimes we struggle and this is what we're going to do when we struggle and let's work together and help each other out because when our students struggle, we want them to be able to lean on someone else to be able to sort of help them up. And that was my way of sort of putting it out there that it's okay not to be perfect and I'm a big perfectionist. And so just accept that fact and say, you know what, look at me. Uh, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm just going to keep working at it. And so that's really where that post, I wanted to just let it all out and say, do you know what, there's perfection out there or what seems to be perfection in the posts that we plan because we like to share what's going well, but yes. we don't like to share our struggles. So here are my struggles and let's put it all out on the table. And what a gift. Thank you for that. Because like you, I mean, I saw that post recently, I think it was on Instagram of you on the treadmill and you're like looking for that that even number. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, it, it kind of like creeps into our lives in so many different ways for so many different reasons. And for someone like me as well, I'm, achie I'm an achiever too. And I think it's really nice to see somebody else acknowledging that it's not always easy and there's a dip and yeah, a, a really legitimate, which um, sort of the space between your dreams and your goals and then the reality of it and then finding that that sweet spot of what actually works and then what works like you said there's all these different factors like your personality the ecosystem of your classroom some of which is not within your control and so sort of factoring all of that in and I think about it from a leadership standpoint often because as you step away and further and further from the classroom dynamic 
it's really easy to forget that piece. So as someone who's played both sides of the fence, what message would you have to leaders who are going fast and furious with new policy, are expecting more from their educators, are maybe leading with some really high, high, high expectations about the way that new curriculum can be Im implemented and that sort of thing. What, what message would you have for them? I think one of the biggest things that I'm reflecting on myself coming back is work as a team. So no matter what expectations, I mean, I believe in having high expectations because we should all have high expectations of ourselves and of our students because yes. those are the essential goals that we want to reach. But at the same time, if we're going to be true leaders, I always talk about servant leadership, you have to be there with your staff. You have to be in the classrooms. You have to work with them. I think the most difficult challenge for teachers is when a new leader comes in and then has already sort of this plan mapped out, and then it's just implement, implement, but then no one's really part of the change. Mm. I think if you involve everybody and really be there, it's not, I want you to do this, or this is what I want to see. It's how can we make this happen together? And I think if we really focus on that collaborative piece uh, and focus on the humans in front of us, so remember that everyone is human, everyone goes through emotions and struggles and good days and bad days, be there with them. And until in education we really transform the traditional roles that we have where you have the administrator uh, and then you have the teacher and the student and we really look ourselves as partners in learning I think that's what we need to strive for, to see this true transformation happen and for everyone to be happy in that transformation. Mm -hmm. So you recently talked about, maybe not so recently, but you, you have written about this, this concept of fighting for the fish. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it applies to your classroom practice? Yes, so uh, a lot of times in, in education, we always sort of uh, talk about, and I know it's been misconstrued out in the media. Uh, there's a quote that's been uh, attributed to Albert Einstein uh, that if you judge a fish by his ability to climb, uh, he will always fail or something to, to that effect. And it's not Albert Einstein if we do our research, but it's been out there so far. Right. But uh, we try and see our children as unique. And we always talk about differentiation and personalization, but then we sort of group them together. And so I have the fish analogy, but then I talk to even my high school students about the herd analogy. We want to herd you in education. So we're all herding you like cattle in the same direction through a funnel. You start at the same time, you end up through the fence at the same time, and you're supposed to have the same amount of knowledge sort of imparted on you. And so when I say fighting for the fish, and I think of my two girls who are completely different, mm -hmm. it's really when I look at each student and when I look at what I want them to accomplish and to learn, the way they're going to show me that they're learning and the way that they're going to find their road to success is never going to be the same. So having those 30 tests and those 30 essays and those 30 presentations and have always the same expectation of my students, it's sort of really not congruent with my own reflection on what learning should be and what we've been sort of talking about in the last decade in education. And so when I say fighting for the fish, it's let's find a way in education to really transform practice to say, Do you know what? How do you want to show this and how can we tailor some of education? I mean, we do have standards, we do have a baseline, but how can we tailor some of this learning so you can really succeed in the way that you want to succeed so that you can really develop the passions we want you to develop? Because I tell my students, we want you to develop passions that, but then their passions never make it in our classroom and in their learning. And so I really want to follow suit with what we're saying 
And so I think that's one of the, the other important pieces that go sort of with kindness and the SEL and empathy is to really personalize education as much as possible to say, let's see how we can change everyone's experience. So it's their experience. Yes. And that really, you know, that really dovetails well with the, the concept of inquiry based learning and really letting the students have agency over their own learning as well. Definitely. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about if you were to mentor a new teacher, I'm sure you have before, what advice would you give a new student or a new teacher, pardon me, and what would you say matters most in education when it comes to teaching? I think I'll stick by to what I've been saying for the past little while, where uh, to me, it's the heart that matters the most. Uh, you need to educate to the heart before you educate to the mind. And I think building relationships, but understanding your students, understanding your staff, your colleagues, uh, and understanding yourself, that's number one. But also be forgiving. Let yourself take those risks, but it's okay if it doesn't work out. And I think oftentimes we don't give our new teachers and even our veteran teachers, we don't give them time to reflect. Uh, we tell them to do it on their own time, do it at night, do it in the morning. But you know what, I'd love to see a system where we say, do you know what, every teacher gets 15, 20 minutes in a group every day while they're paid to do it, to reflect together and bounce ideas and say, do you know what, I tried this, this didn't work. Who has ideas to help me out? And I think we really need to build that collaboration to say, do you know what, let's work together. But we have to be forgiving because if we're going to judge people, and that's why I think, especially at the high school level, doors are often closed. Mm -hmm. We don't want we don't want people coming into our classroom for fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to really break that wall down and say, do you know what, let's open this up. And do you know what, if you see me flop, you know what, you see me flop and let's reflect and work together because we just want to get this experience to become even better. And the only way that's going to happen is by working together. So good. And you know, that's so interesting because I think about even myself in, in the educator role, depending on the cultural or the you know, the cultural climate of the school, I find sometimes that how I feel about sharing my failures, quote unquote, it depends, right? I'm not always going to feel like I can be vulnerable because the perception may be that, yeah, there's some judgment associated with that failure, or there's this perception that we should be perfect, right? And so how would you say that we need to actually create not only climate, a climate of of safety psychologically in our classrooms because I think that same feeling exists. People are afraid to put up their hands or are afraid to be ridiculed and so they'll often stay safe and quiet, right? But I think, like you just mentioned, I think the same exact thing happens within staffs. And how would you say we can shift that culture a little bit so that it is less judgmental and more accepting of the journey of trying things that might not work? School culture is probably the most important thing to work on uh, for staff, but for leaders within a school or any system. Uh, I think one of the books that changed my perception and really infused a lot of inspiration was Culturize by mm -hmm. Jimmy Cassass, mm -hmm. uh, just working on that whole culture piece. And I did a book study with an amazing group of people on it, uh, and we got a chance to talk to Jimmy. But you have to build that same family that we always talk about building within the classroom. And that idea of building the family came to me when I first heard Ron Clark's story, early 2000s on Oprah mm. uh, and the Essential 55. That was probably the catalyst for me. And I mean, I'm a high school teacher and he was an elementary school teacher. And I was looking at his ideas of the Essential 55. Well, how can I tailor this? 
but we need to build that family within our staff, uh, taking time to look at how do you build those relationships, allow for it, give that flexibility to say, do you know what, you want to go in the classroom, let's do it. Or if you want to share something, it's important in our language. Don't go right to giving solutions and judgment, but ask questions as well. How did this work out and how did you feel? And really open that conversation. We really need to have open dialogue and conversation and we're always listening to react, but instead we need to listen to understand. And I think once we create that sort of system where we're just listening to each other, and then if someone says something, you're like, well, do you know what? I tried this and this is what happened. How about we work together and try this out? And then the leader says, do you know what? I'll take your class. Why don't you two just work with that class and see if you could figure out some strategies that works with those kids. When we have that kind of a flexible system, I mean, that's where I think we're really going to open up the culture piece to so much more. And we have to include our parents and include students in the discussion. We have to stop. We talk about isolation between ourselves, but we can't keep isolating all the partners either. We have to open our doors, open our walls and really work together. Mm, so interesting. So when it comes to setting up your classroom in September or for every term, since you rotate classes, what are some of the tips that you have for creating this family within your own classroom? What are some actionable ways that one could do that? Uh, I'm big on putting quotes. Uh, I love quotes and those who see me on Twitter, they know I'm a big person on quotes. So I put that, I put a lot of color because I sort of see a lot of times schools when they, when they build schools, it tends, I sort of see it like sort of like a hospital. It's sort of the neutral colors, the bland colors, the white, the beige. Mm -hmm. And so I try to infuse some color, but then also put pieces of you and pieces of your students on the wall. So, I mean, I come from a Polish background and we're in a French school, so that's part of who I am. And my family's being brought up in French and I'm in Canada. So, I mean, I have different flags that are on my walls, family pictures. I ask students to bring different pieces of them. I try to put their work on the wall. I want them, when they walk into their class, to say, do you know what, this is my class and I feel comfortable. Uh, so if you ask them to sort of bring stuff in, or if a student does an amazing piece, I mean, I just recently shared on Instagram, my kids were doing blackout poetry for the first time. Uh, and this was my first experience with students doing blackout poetry. And I mean, the student just did an amazing job and this was like our practice. And so I went to see her, I'm like, do you know what, can I post this on social media? Cause it is just amazing. And so posting beyond the walls, but even posting on your wall. So when students walk in, hey, I did that. Or, oh yeah, that's when that happened and take pictures and put it up. You really want to build that atmosphere. It's sort of like a home. And yes. if you if you went into your house and there were no pictures, there was no personalization, there was nothing, it wouldn't feel like home. And so we have to work on creating that atmosphere and that physical atmosphere has to also be congruent with the emotional atmosphere. So talk to your kids, give them the chance to share what they have on their mind because everything sort of works together in creating that amazing culture within your own classroom. I love that. I think that's a really neat, there are some really tangible ways of doing that. And I saw that post actually, and it was pretty amazing, really beautiful. When I think about where you live, because you've just mentioned social media quite a bit, and you live in the province of Ontario, and currently there are some interesting, interesting policies being rolled out in terms of social media use within schools. What is your take on that? And how do you, how do you feel that social media within schools can actually be a positive learning tool? I think to me, we have to see social media 
uh, as a positive outlet to share because we've been talking so much in the last few years about breaking down walls and not learning just for the sake of the classroom and the teacher, but sharing our work globally. And I mean, I've gotten the chance to connect and learn with other classrooms. And I mean, it, we're sort of taking this away and we're talking about, okay, understand limiting cell phones or the distraction of cell phones. I mean, the distraction is real. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it and say, do you know what, cell phones aren't a problem. Do you know what, they're a distraction, it's true. But by simply saying, because right now they're talking about banning it for next school year, and by saying we're going to ban a tool that as adults we probably wouldn't ban in our own lives, instead of saying, how about we teach them how to use it responsibly? How about we teach them proper etiquette and respect that when I'm talking to someone, I don't need my device with me. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I'm working on something, it's okay to have my music on. It's okay to check a post from time to time, because when I'm working, I will sometimes check my Twitter feed and I will check my email. And I mean, it is there for work, but it can be a distraction, but it is a learning tool. And if we never teach them how to use it responsibly, they're never going to learn. And so we talk about this concept of digital natives. Just because they were born with that technology doesn't mean they know how to use it effectively and make a difference with it. And that's our job as educators is take the tools because they're not going anywhere. So let's teach them how to use it. And I use my example with my students very often. I mean, my cell phone is in my classroom. I'm not on it, but I show them, okay, well, look, I'm going to post this on social media because I want to share what you're doing. They see my own leadership with social media and how I use my cell phone and how I use the tools. And I want them to model it. It's not going to be perfect. And I'm going to have to make reminders. And just like all students, you know what? They're going to stumble and they're going to make mistakes. And I mean, Snapchat, it's there to stay and they love it. But you know, I try and now look at how can I use Snapchat to really benefit education? And so I try to bring it in and say, okay, well, you love that. How can we now put a spin on it to make it a learning activity? How can you include it so at least we're getting something out of it? And you know, it's okay. They want to be connected just like us. As educators, we want to be connected with other teachers. They're looking for that connection. So how can we teach them this is where it's okay to really be on it and focus on it. And now it's time to focus on the people who are here present with you. And that's how I try and view uh, view cell phones. And I personally really disagree with the ban that's coming. Sure, and, and I, I could appreciate that. I think my thinking is in line with yours about that as well. And, you know, I, I this makes me think of Simon Sinek. He, he's talked about a number of times the message, you know, basically social media etiquette and cell phone etiquette. And he says, you know, when you even bring your cell phone to dinner, or to lunch and you have your cell phone on the table, there's just that slight hint that perhaps there might be someone on that phone who might be more important than the person in front of you. So even teaching that etiquette, that there's a time and a place for cell phone use, and there's also a time when it's it the message that it sends is a negative one, right? Yeah, definitely. And so we need to teach it and we need it to be a part of their lives and our life for them to really learn how to how to live in a community. Yes, exactly. Um, before we move on to the rapid fire questions, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about when when you think, I mean, you've mentioned a few names here. You've, you've mentioned Jimmy Casas and a number of others. What are maybe three books that you would recommend that have inspired your journey in terms of the way that you approach building culture in your in your classroom? Uh, so I did mention Jimmy Cassas Culturize. That was a big, big, big one. Uh, I have to say when I started being a connected educator, uh, Kids Deserve It uh, has been a game changer just for mindset. 
Uh, and it covers K to 12 and everything's sort of in there. And I've gotten a chance to talk with Todd and Adam and they're amazing educators. I think that one was uh, a big changer for me. And then uh, I have so many that it's, it's sort of difficult to narrow it down. I'm gonna say three, uh, but I do have to say Teach Like a Pirate, Dave Burgess. Uh, and when it first came out and I read it and I was like, okay, I don't see myself necessarily dressing up uh, like pirate. <laughs> Uh, though I have dressed up in many things in the classroom, but I, but that mentality of just giving the best experience to your students. And I think one of the best posts that he made was about homework and uh, the amusement park analogy. If you've never found it, just put that in Google. Uh, I know I've shared it many times and I've told Dave it's probably the best analogy I've heard when it comes to homework. But uh, those three, culturized, teach like a pirate, kids deserve it, have been amazing reflective tools for me to really reflect on my own practice and see, well, what do I want to put out there for my students? That's great. Can you, uh, just for my listeners' sake, can you just talk to the amusement park analogy briefly? Yeah, so uh, Dave really compared, uh, so if you go to an amusement park, and let's say I'm going to take Disney as an example, but most amusement parks, you go on the ride, and then when you get off the ride, it brings you right into the gift shop. And so when you just finish that adrenaline rush and that excitement and all that stimulus that you just finished seeing, Let's say, I think the example he used was sharks. And then so you get off the ride and then you have everything, books about sharks and uh, toys about sharks. That And they try and get you excited. And so our goal with homework is instead of giving those 20 exercises to all the kids who don't necessarily need it and doesn't really excite kids, let leave them with that excitement about learning that when you're done your lesson, when you're done learning, that kids go, oh my God, I want to know more. Uh, let me go find this out. And then you say, do you know what? Go find... Uh, two more pieces of information of something that inspired you. And I mean, it's not always easy. It's not always hard. But if you keep that mindset that I want to leave that little tidbit of inspiration to leave them wanting more, that's how we should approach homework instead of here's that end of class, what you have to do because you didn't have time to do it or whatever, uh, that regular traditional approach to homework to really get them excited about learning. And that's how I want to approach homework. That's my vision. Love it. Thank you. Do you have anything else to add before we move on to the rapid fire questions? I think we just need to be comfortable with taking risks, putting things out there, but you know what? Find your group, be connected. When people want to connect with you, try and take time to talk to them. But that connection piece, that relationship piece, if we believe it for our schools, we need to believe it for ourselves and really look out there. If you can't find the support that you have right in your immediate circle, for the ideas that you have and you want to bounce off, go out there, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and just talk to teachers and bounce ideas and just give yourself the permission to try. And I think uh, trying is already one step towards success. Great advice. What does kindness mean to you? To me, I mean, kindness is everything. It's what makes the world go around. It's what gives us drive to help others, but it's what's going to change the world. Kindness is really, to me, at the forefront of any big change you want to do. You have to look for the heart in everything. What one superpower or skill does an educator need to lead with in order to be effective? Uh, you need to listen. Listen with empathy, I'll even say. Uh, to try and understand, but just to know people's stories and know how to really infuse that into your teaching and understanding to go every step of the way. 
listening to others with empathy, uh, I think is super important. That's sort of, I guess, a superpower that everyone needs. Mm -hmm. And finally, what quote would you say, would you print on one of those quote cups that could be sold in bookstores and sold around the world? There are so many, but I think one that resonates with me is see the light in others and treat them as if that is all you see. And that's by Dr. Wayne Dyer, but just really look for the best. It's easy to, to see the worst in some situations. It's easy to feel defeated. Uh, it's easy to fall in that negative trap, but really when you look at people, only see the best and really nurture that best because we need to uplift each other and celebrate each other to really make a difference in the world. Thank you so much, Roman Novak. This has been a really exciting conversation and I've learned a lot from you. So thank you for joining me on the call today. And thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking about this, but having the time to really just think and reflect. I mean, this has been a really big period of time where I get a chance to just sit there, talk and reflect and exchange. So those are rich times for me as well. Awesome. And finally, where can people find you? Uh, so I'm very active on Twitter and it's uh, at Novak R-O, so N-O-W-A-K-R-O. Uh, there is my blog site, which is Mr. Roman Novak. So it's all one word, M-R-R-O-M-A-N-N-O-W-A-K.wordpress.com. Uh, I am on Instagram, Roman.Novak. Uh, but even if you go to my site, all the links are there. But Twitter is probably the hub for me because uh, I'm on there on a daily basis. And that's where I really learn and reflect on a daily basis. Awesome. And then when do you normally do your Be Kind EDU chats? Uh, so now things have changed. So be kind to you. Uh, the hashtag is still out there. Uh, there is no chat at the moment, oh, but there okay. is, no, that's fine. Uh, there is a build hope edu chat, which is done uh, on Sundays at 9 PM, which I host. And we try and touch about this idea of, uh, hope and infusing it with kindness and heart within schools and within our own lives. Uh, but, uh, if you go on be kind edu hashtag, there's so much information and so many people sharing amazing stories and strategies and struggles and positive messages. I mean, it's an amazing uh, resource to just find some hashtags on Twitter and just go and find inspiration. That's awesome. Thanks again. I really appreciate the conversation. No problem. Thank you again for having me.
I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.